today we are going to be talking a little bit about different routes that you can use to get into the game development industry. And I have with me four guests who all had very different routes for their personal careers. And they're going to share some insights about their careers and also what it is that they look for when they are hiring people as well. So if you could please give a nice warm welcome. We have Jay, we have Quang, we have Callie, and we have Mike here today. Um, thank you. So to start with, we're going to talk to them a little bit about their careers. And then if we have time at the end, we will throw it out for a couple of questions from the audience as well. So do have a think if you have any questions you'd like to ask us in the last sort of 10 minutes or so of the presentation. So to start with, we should go through and get you guys to just say a little bit about who you are and what your current job in the games industry is. Sure. To start with you. Hi, my name's Jay. I'm co-founder director of a small indie company called Arrogant Pixel. Um, I also um, am a previous biz dev at Curve. Currently, I'm teaching on the games design course at the University of West London. That's what I'm up to at the moment. Excellent. Quang? Uh, my name's Quang. Um, I'm founder of the indie micro studio Asobi Tech. Um, we make uh, mobile games, uh, PC games, and currently Game Boy games, uh, which is a little different. Uh, we currently just have hired two new people at our studio, so our two is growing. And um, yeah, that's what we do at the moment. Excellent, Callie. Awesome. So my name is Callie. Uh, is this working? I don't know. I can't hear anything, but let's. Oh. It's on. Is it good? Do we have audio? We'll go over to Mike while they're sorting out the audio for Callie. Uh, yeah, my name is Mike Tucker. I'm uh, the director of uh, Bitmap Bureau. Well, the creative director. And our focus is retro games for the Mega Drive, Dreamcast, Neo Geo, and so on. Uh, but we also make games for the Switch and PlayStation. And yeah, we have a lot of fun doing it. <laughs> That's what we like to hear. Kelly, do we have audio? Awesome. I don't know. Do we have audio? I feel like. I can't Almost. hear myself, but there we go. there's there always go. one. There's, <laughs> <laughs> there's always one who likes to be different. All right. Is that. Oh, we're good. Go. Excellent. Okay. I Excellent. can hear the weird echo now. Excellent. Uh, yes, so my name is Callie. I am HR and facilities manager at Payday Studios. Um, we make a game called TerraTech and also run the Tentacle Zone, which is uh, a community of independent developers, uh, co-working space, and uh, digital incubator for underrepresented founders as well. So yeah, I do lots of stuff. <laughs> Excellent. It's always fun to see how many different hats people wear within this industry as well. So I'd like to ask you guys to tell us a little bit about your personal journeys into the game development industry, because I know you all entered in very different routes. Uh, so we'll, we'll come back the other way. So we're going to pick on you first. Mike, how did you end up as a game developer? Um, <laughs> sheer luck, I think. So <laughs> when I was 19, I applied to um, Vark Swift, which was a recruitment agency. Uh, I just wanted to get a job as a games tester. Luckily, there was a studio based in Southampton called uh, Sales Curve Interactive, and they were making games such as Lawnmower Man, which is pretty dreadful, uh, later on Carmageddon. Um, but yeah, I, I turned up for the interview. I, I didn't really know what to expect or how to prepare for it. Uh, but I brought along a uh, PlayStation 1 memory card, and they pretty much gave me the job there and then. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I didn't have any qualifications and such. Uh, very nearly quit in the first week because games testing is actually quite a terrible job. Um, but luckily I stuck with it and um, yeah, moved into programming, design, um, started my own studio and so on. Uh, but yeah, that's, that was my way in. Um, 
and yeah, I, I did actually do computer science at college as well, but I failed terribly at that. I got a D grade. So, um, so yeah, really, it was just uh, being in the right place at the right time, just having a, a, a game studio on our doorstep in Southampton, and uh, just taking the risk, going for the interview um, with the PlayStation memory card. <laughs> that, that was it. I love that. Do you still have that card? I do. With the, it should be framed on the wall at this point. <laughs> I probably should. Uh, yeah, it's just my, it just had my Ridge Racer times on it because I was just <laughs> hooked on Ridge Racer, and uh, yeah, they they just loved that and said, right, you're in. So. Yeah, I like that. Well, Instead well. of a Stevie Ridge Racer times <laughs> on a memory card. It might not work these days. <laughs> uh, you uh, never know. You never know. Retro games and arcade style racers are back in, so it, it could be a, the, the top tip we didn't know we needed. Give it a go. <laughs> so taking advantage of what was there and just actually kind of taking that leap and putting yourself forward and taking, taking a risk and putting yourself out there. And uh, yeah, there's always a, an element of right time, right place with all of these things. Uh, Callie, what was your route into the game development industry? Yeah, so um, like Mike, it was a bit uh, a bit random, I think. So um, when I was at school, I, I didn't really even think about working in the games industry. It wasn't something that was on my radar. It wasn't something that was spoken about as a, as a potential career or anything like that. Um, so I decided I was going to be a filmmaker, and that, that was my, uh, my dream. So I started working in... in um, film and TV and rapidly found that that wasn't really for me. And, um, but I did end up working at an animation company um, and from there uh, actually really randomly got, got a job at PlayStation. So that was kind of my, my first step in. Um, but it was really um, because I had kind of experience in, I guess, in a related industry, but it was just kind of the, the, the admin experience it was quite, quite a junior role. Um, and then I took a bit of a break from the industry um, and then I, I count it as quite lucky um, because a friend of a friend was approached for this job at Payload and was happy where she was so kind of passed it to me because she knew that I was looking for something. Um, yeah, and I ended up uh, back in the games industry at Payload Studios and uh, yeah, that was three and a bit years ago and, and uh, yeah, I haven't looked back since then really. Um, but I guess uh, the point being that I um, kind of found something that I enjoyed and that I was good at and kind of managed to transfer that to the industry. So it's not always about, um, you know, having to be an artist or a developer. There's a whole load of other roles um, within the industry as well that maybe don't get, um, you know, aren't as well known, shall we say. Yeah, there's always a lot of transferable skills that you're going to be able to take with you that will allow you to sidestep and whether you stay there or move to other areas with industry then becomes sort of opening up all of those branches to you. And I think I know quite a lot of people myself who started off and then have gone into things like social media management, have taken that to games industries or have taken their graphic design and, and things like that and gone on and uh, evolved their careers then in an area that they absolutely love. Uh, Quang, what was your route into becoming a games developer? Um, I started developing games since a kid, since I was a kid, 10 years old. Um, I'm self-taught as a programmer, uh, and it's something I wanted to do, at, I've always wanted to do in my life. Um, I taught myself how to make games for the Game Boy. I was lucky enough there was a development kit online, and we started making stuff for that. Someone saw my game online and said, that's great. We would like to offer you a job making games for the Game Boy. Uh, so that's back in 2000, which was great. So I, uh, I dropped out of university because I thought, hey, I got a job now. I don't need university. So I left university to, to do this. I hated university anyway, to be honest. Um, like Mike, uh, there wasn't any games courses when we were doing university. Back then, it was computer science. And it was a lot more generic uh, as a course. Um, so I got this job as, as making Game Boy games. Uh, we worked on Lego Stunt Rally. 
um, Revolt, uh, Mary King's Riding Star, horse riding game, um, and a bunch of other stuff for Game Boy. Uh, I did it for a year, unfortunately, and I, I burned out. Um, being quite young, I, I didn't quite understand how to look after myself. And also back in 2000, there wasn't a real mindset of looking after your mental health in, in video games. Uh, so I left that and I did, I became a dancer. I was a break dancer for like eight years or so. I, I went up and did that. Uh, but I, eventually I came back to games and I decided, I was at a point now where I wanted to do my own stuff. I didn't want to work for anyone else. So I decided to start my own studio. I kept my day job because obviously you need money coming in. Uh, I did IT for my day job and I made games in my spare time. And for the last 14 years now, I've been growing the Sobe Tech very, very slowly. Um, and since the pandemic started, uh, we've now gone full time and now we can gain full time and I'm now hiring other people. So it's, it's been quite a convoluted story, I think. Yeah, I like the way you kind of, you did it in the fast forward and threw yourself at it and then had to take that step back. But you've grown and evolved in your other career and your other experiences since then and then been able to bring that back. And it's interesting to see how it isn't necessarily an all or nothing change you know if you are able to sort of say hey I'm gonna quit my day job or I'm not gonna do uni I'm gonna jump into this that's one way of doing it but if you are in a different point in your life where you need that day job or you have dependence and, and things like that there are still ways to work towards that as an end goal and sort of have like a little bit at least of a work-life balance or as best as any of us can manage at the moment um, so I'm interested to hear about your story as well, Jay. How did you get into this industry? Mine's very long and complicated as well. Um, so I didn't start off in the games industry. I started off in music. Mm -hmm. um, my idea was I wanted to be a rock star for a long time, so I really wanted to like pursue that. Um, but what that sort of turned into an interest was just starting businesses, I think. I went into more the music management side of things, managing bands, um, that sort of thing. Um, that sort of thing sort of led into, you know, organizing um, sort of people's careers, if that makes sense. So it, it forced me to kind of have a look at my own. And um, when I met Ben, uh, my co-founder, we'd been making games pretty much as soon as we met, since about 2007. Um, we were doing that as a hobby for a long time, but we, um, I guess we managed to take the plunge and incorporate it in about 2015, when one of our um, co-founders came on board. And we just decided that um, video, making video games was just really fun. And we wanted to do that sort of, we wanted to make that like our thing. So we have day jobs, we pay for game development sort of through that. And also outsourcing work as well. We do a lot of marketing work for other games companies and other non-games related businesses as well to help pay for all of our staff. So now we're a team of eight. So it started with two and now we're sort of eight people, eight man team, yeah. So it's pretty random journey like I said I didn't start off in life thinking absolutely games is something that I wanted to be but video games have always been in my periphery I've been a gamer since before I can remember um, so yeah it's always something that I was interested in you have to obviously be interested in the industry that you want to yeah. work in right and, and yeah. I think that passion will always show through in whatever it is you do and again you've taken all of those transferable skills and those elements of management, those elements of working in another very sort of hectic, busy, competitive industry is music and bringing that with you to make something that can be yours. And it's amazing to see like how much you guys have grown, um, like having sort of eight people working together. Um, it's a phenomenal achievement. So we have a people here who've got 
a, a huge amount of different experiences. Uh, one of the other things that they have in common, as well as an absolute love for working in the game industry and various different convoluted routes of getting there, is that they are now all in one way or another involved in the hiring of people. So I thought it might be quite useful if we were to ask them, what is it that you look for in people that you want to hire? Um, something outside or something that is different than necessarily just having followed that standard got a game development degree or, or a degree in the relevant subject, but what are the things that you will, you will look for as your main skills or that people need to show you to, to get on your radar? Uh, we'll start at the other end again with Mike. Uh, so yeah, we, um, we work with quite a few pixel artists all around the world. Um, our current top pixel artist is uh, Henk Nieborg, who uh, goes back to the 90s. Uh, with him, we just literally approached him and said, do you want to work with us? And he said yes. <laughs> that was it, really. Um, we were making a new Mega Drive game called Xeno Crisis, which uh, obviously um, got him very excited because that was the era that he um, started, where he started in the industry, making Amiga and Mega Drive games. So that was enough to get him on board. Um, on a similar note, we hired another pixel artist about two years ago, and I found him on Tumblr, uh, of all places. Uh, he was extremely talented guy, but he didn't appear to have a job in the industry. And I was quite perplexed because he, he had immense talent. Uh, and his animation style was very much uh, like that of Capcom, SNK, yeah, that sort of standard. So yeah, we just uh, sent him an email and said, do you want to make some sprites for our new fighting game? And he was yeah, very happy to be approached. And uh, yeah, he actually undersold himself, really. He was, he was charging like, you know, five pound a sprite or something crazy like that. And um, so we said, right, we, we need to take you on full time. So we put him on a nice wage. Uh, and he, he was then able to go and buy a flat and help out his mum. Uh, so, so yeah, we, we just look for raw talent, really. And um, as long as your talent's out there, you know, whether it's on DeviantArt, ArtStation, Tumblr, um, yeah, we'll, we'll probably find you if you're a great pixel artist. Uh, so we've now got four pixel artists on board. Um, and yeah, that's our focus really, making 2D pixel art games. And yeah, similar, similarly with musicians, uh, we'll pick the right musician for the right uh, game really. So we worked with uh, Manami Matsume, also of uh, Capcom fame. She worked on Mega Man, Final Fight and so on. So uh, I happened to know her agent, so I was able to talk to her directly. And uh, for Zeno Crisis, we we hired a Swedish guy, again, who didn't work in the games industry, but uh, we approached him and just just asked him nicely, really, and <laughs> he agreed. <laughs> so um, I think if you've, got, if you've got the sheer talent, then, uh, and you're able to put it on a platform like YouTube or you know, ArtStation or whatever, then you've got a good chance of being discovered. Yeah, I think it's easy to assume that the people that you're seeing in the industry and the people you're seeing making these games you want to be working on, that they went through a conventional path, whereas the more people I meet, the more it turns out that's not what they did at all. And uh, the expectation that you kind of think people put on themselves that, oh, I need to have had this and this and this on my CV isn't necessarily there if you can show the passion and the skill and uh, uh, have a random Tumblr blog that um, <laughs> someone happens to stumble across. But the more you can do to put your work out there, I think the better. Um, sure. Callie, what would you say that is the main things you, you look for or, or you would like people to bring to the table for you to notice them? 
That is a great question. Um, I think it does depend depend on the role. Uh, you know, we've been hiring quite a lot this year across all kinds of disciplines, so it will vary a little bit um, from team to team. Um, but I think a couple of key things are, is just that, that I personally look for is an interest in the studio and the games that we're making, um, because I think often people who want to get into the industry uh, might take a slightly scattergun approach and apply to lots and lots of places. Um, which, uh, which is understandable, but uh, really what we're looking for is people that um, have the talent but want to make the kind of games that we're making and want to be in the projects that, that, that we do and that we support, etc. Um, and I think another thing, um, just picking up on some, some previous points, is just making sure that your portfolios or your arts are really easy to access. Um, you know, especially if you're applying directly to places, chances are they're getting a lot of applications. If your portfolio is hidden away or it isn't in an easy to read format or anything else, it, it's going to make it a little bit more difficult. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that really answers the question, but those are the two things that, that would kind of spring to mind. It's just, yeah, enthusiasm and, and um, kind of desire to work at the kind of studio uh, that, that we run. Uh, and, and also just making sure that, you know, when your, your skills are on show as much as possible, if you are going for something that requires a portfolio or a, or a demo or anything like that. Yeah, I think just being able to show, even if they are transferable skills rather than, you know, an art portfolio or a, a music playlist you've created, yeah, it's absolutely. still about making a way to, to showcase what you can do because recruiters and, and companies, they need to know very, very quickly that you're someone that might be a good fit for them, especially if they're going through potentially hundreds of, of CVs and applications and things. Yeah, it's the same with CVs, right? So on my team, uh, I have uh, a couple of people who, who moved into the games industry from different industries, um, uh, including some that we hired with, with no games industry experience. Um, but their, their CVs and their interviews were able to show us that they had the skills that, that we were looking for for those roles. Um, obviously, it depends from team to team. Sometimes you might need you know, a bit more technical experience uh, in terms of games itself. But, but yeah, anyway, sorry, I'm waffling. I'll, I'll That's okay. That it's all good stuff. It's all good <laughs> stuff. And it shows your thought process of when you are looking through them. One of the things that I used to say to, to people a long time ago when I was hiring, although that was in a previous career as a graphic designer, was basically like that top bit of your CV sells it and just put bullet points there saying what your main skills are and what you want and how what you can do applies to what you want. And that sort of got you fast that first hurdle of making it, again, like you're saying, putting things up on easy to find websites and social media and things, having that top bit of your CV, just say, hey, I love games, I do this, I project manage this, but I want to project manage games. And then people can immediately see what you bring. So Absolutely. yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, so, Quang, you've hired some people. Um, what have you looked for in the people you've hired, and how have you found them so far? So recently we hired a production manager uh, because I've been running Sotec on my own for the last 13 odd years, and it's got to a point where I know how I work and I know how I do things, but I can be a bit of a mess sometimes, and so I need someone to make sure everything runs smoothly. Um, so hiring a production manager was one of the first things I looked at doing. And uh, we hired Kirsty, and Kirsty's wonderful, but she's not from video games. Um, she's come, she comes from live events, uh, comedy circuits, uh, stage management, and things like that. Um, and I met her through doing a podcast with someone else, and she was uh, manage, production managing for them. So I think with that, it's very much of to do with networking. So coming to events like this is a big thing, talking to people and meeting people. Um, they, they, they say in, in, in industries, it's about who you know. And it's very, very true in all industries. 
um, meeting people and knowing people um, and being in front of their minds when they're making decisions is very important. So the more things you can go to, the more things you can do, the better. And so um, meeting Kirsty and, and seeing how well she performed at her job doing the production for that, I thought that'd be great. And talking to her, she's a huge gaming fan again and loves games and, and loves doing all that. So I thought this would be perfect for her to offer a job and, and she took, it, took that. Uh, we also recently hired a, uh, a pixel artist and our pixel artist is, is from, originally we got him to do a box art because I knew him as a uh, comic style uh, artist. And um, so Lucan, a zombie workshop, uh, does streaming. Um, and I met him through Twitch streaming, through another channel who we raided and we raided and saw his artwork, his beautiful artwork. We got him to do the box art, I watched his streams, watched him do some pixel art from stuff and I thought like, that's pretty good. Let's get him on to do some pixel art for our, our stuff. He did the pixel art and it blew me away. It was way, ab his work was way above what I expected it to be. So we were like, great, let's hire him for our next game. And now we have taken him on full time as well. Because good talent, you want to get hold of that and you want to hold on to it. So offering them, offering them uh, full time jobs, uh, that's job security is, is a, a big thing. So I think taking the takeaway from that is get your portfolio together. Get known, um, be prolific, show your work, and then people can, can come find you. Yeah, I think so. And networking, as you say, is, is vastly important in any career. Because when people are thinking, oh, I need X, Y, and Z, they're going to think, who would I trust to give that with? Who would I trust my project with? And if they have met you and spoken to you, even if it was only briefly, that could mean that they'll kind of go, oh, hang on, I remember meeting someone who might be perfect for that. And it gives you uh, just that instant visibility with the people that, that you'd like to be working with. And I can certainly say for, for me, as someone who sort of does presenting and works in this side of the industry, I also do some Twitch streaming. And from Twitch streaming, and generally just, you know, making a bit of a muppet of myself on camera. People from indie game companies occasionally would approach me and went, hey, you do silly voices. And I'm like, not intentionally. And they're like, yeah, could you do it intentionally? And from that point on, I've got some little roles as a voice actor because they went, hey, you can do this. And I know you because I've watched you here or I've met you at this event or I've seen you talk on stage. And, and those kind of connections, um, which you can make just online with, with Twitch streaming, as you say, you, you met someone who is now you know, one of your main pixel artists from a Twitch stream. That is an excellent way of getting seen by more people and just becoming more of a, a recognized figure in what you want to be doing, even if it isn't currently what you are doing for your day job. Uh, so same question for you. What is it you, you look for? How have you found people so far? I mean, I don't think we've hired anybody that we haven't met in person. I think that's probably... Um, probably not the greatest strategy, I would say, for a small company, but when you are such a tiny company and you don't want to put your, you know, put your game in the hands of a stranger, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think that networking for me um, just makes me feel like I know the person and I really want, I want them to stay around. It's not like I want them to just come into the company for like four months and then leave after the... Um, after doing that, so it's really important for me that I find what I call lifers, if that makes sense. So, like people that are going to be staying around for years, even if it's freelancers, people that we can have a really long-term relationship with, and we're giving them jobs because we're like, well, we want to have a consistent art style all the way through our, our projects, so we want to make sure that we keep these people on. Um, and I think what I'm looking for is people that turn up to events, people that like want to get involved, people that you know, 
want to get their name out there a little bit and want to make something of themselves. And that's why it's important to have, like, as much as it sounds really silly, is just like having a social media presence, having like a LinkedIn profile set up, just like whatever's sort of out there about you to sort of represent the best side of you as well, so that when you're going out and meeting people in person, that they can follow up afterwards and be able to see everything, and you can prove everything that you've been trying to sell while you're there. So, um, yeah, turn up to events like this, and you might get hooked up with an indie company. Yeah. Yeah, and I think social media profiles is something that allows people to, to hit a lot of the points that you guys have been discussing. It means they can show their personality a bit so that people can see that you'd be a good fit for the, the kind of ethos of the company, that you might be able to sort of socialize and hang out with people you'd be working with as well. Because personality fit is always quite a big factor with any job. Uh, it also allows you to showcase your work and network. It allows you to, to put your work up, you know, on, on random Tumblr blogs or on your social medias and get people to discover you that way as, as well. Um, so I'd also like to ask you guys, um, did you ever imagine yourself to be working in gaming when you were a little kid? A lot of you said kind of no originally. Um, do you think child you would kind of look at where you are now and be kind of like cheering you on with pom-poms? <laughs> um, yeah, most certainly, yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, I never imagined I could uh, be a, a games programmer or designer, which I'm fortunate enough to be now, uh, and I get paid for it. And um, yeah, going back to uh, our involvement with Manami Matsume, um, the, the Capcom musician, I was, I was playing her games when I was 12. Yeah. Uh, and then last year we actually worked with her on, uh, on our previous title, so something I couldn't imagine as a, as a kid. Um, and yeah, growing up, I never really thought I was particularly academic. Um, I, you know, I didn't want to go to university. I didn't think I was really smart enough. And probably wasn't, to be honest. But um, yeah, luckily, I, I, I had a bit of help with uh, learning to program at the, uh, the studios I've been at over the years. And that's enabled me to uh, indulge in my passion of making games. Yeah, so I'm in a fortunate position where I can design and uh, program my own stuff. And um, yeah, I've teamed up with a, a great colleague uh, who's able to take the technical and business side of things over for me um, because that's a major consideration for Indies as well, as, as Quang will know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I count myself as very lucky to be um, doing what I'm doing, yeah. Yeah, well, you're there because you took a risk, and I'm assuming that you think taking that risk and walking into that, that first job interview with no experience was a, was a good move. Yeah, certainly, and um, there was also the point where I had to uh, form my own studio about 16 years ago, so we went straight into Flash games, which was uh, a very volatile market, really. Um, yeah, some months you can make a few grand, some months, yeah, you couldn't pay the rent, <laughs> so, uh, but it was a good way of getting games out there, great experience. Uh, we teamed up with Adult Swim games at that point as well, so made uh, their first Steam title, so... Yeah, uh, I think as an indie, you have to take risks and just get your games out there. Um, inevitably, there's going to be some flops, and um, but yeah, if you persist and you've got the talent, I think yeah, you can have yeah. some success. Persistence and passion, and yeah. I'm, I'm assuming you would say it was worth taking that risk and moving to games for you as well, Kelly. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think. Yeah, I've always played games. Uh, I just didn't really realise it was something that I could be involved in. 
Um, teenage me was very adamant that I was never going to have an office job. I was never going to sit behind a desk because it was boring and I didn't want to do it. <laughs> and uh, as it turns out, if you find a fun industry, it's, it's quite good. Um, also, if you'd asked me 10 years ago if I was ever going to work in HR, I'd tell you definitely not. Um, but actually, it turns out there are some interesting and, and, and I think um, quite fulfilling areas of that to, to work in as well. Um, so, yes, uh, didn't plan to work in games, but we're very happy to end up here. I forget the second part of the question. Sorry, can you remind me? Would child you be jumping up and down with happiness yes. at this? Yes, childhood me would be very excited. Um, so, uh, I got to go to E3 before it was uh, like open to consumers, and I knew that 14 year old me would just be losing their mind with excitement, uh, uh, you know, being able to wander around and, and see some of the newest games and, and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but also just to be kind of in the industry, um, to see obviously the games that, that Payload makes, but also to kind of know people that work on, on some of the franchises and, and, and some of the games that I loved as a kid and continue to, to love, uh, you know, to this day um, is, I find very exciting. So even though I'm maybe not uh, making the games on the ground, uh, I love being around uh, the industry and, and being working in a creative environment and, and, and having input. Luckily, um, you know, at Payload, I, I'm lucky that I, I do get to have some input, um, you know, whether it's uh, testing testing games, whether it's playtests or, or some other, um, you know, design workshops and things like that. Um, it's it's been great to kind of be be somewhat involved in that side of things as well. Yeah, and games wouldn't be made without all of those other people, and they certainly wouldn't reach as many people without all of those other people. And if you're helping put the correct people in places to create them, that's actually a very strong part of, of the industry. And a lot of people making games have you to thank for, for getting them into their jobs and things. So that's a hugely important part of it as well. Uh, so Quang, I, I think we know since you started coding games as a, as a kid that, that child you would be very happy that you've returned to it for, for round two. You know, it, when it's your childhood dream to become a game developer, um, I know as a kid, I didn't quite know how games are made. When you're a kid, you don't understand that games are made by people, that they just come from somewhere magical, yeah. maybe Japan or America or somewhere, and, and, and they... And then they turn up on your doorstep and you play the games, and they're great. You don't know where they come from. And when you start making games, your games are terrible because you don't know how to make games. So you make terrible stuff, and you think, I'm never going to be able to make games of this quality. But you make more and more stuff, and you get better at it, and eventually you get to make something that you're quite proud of, and you think, oh, that's quite good. And then people see it, and people go, oh, that's really nice. Would you like a job making games? You're like, yeah, I want a job making games. Because if you practice your art and you get better, one of the big things you learn is iteration in games, is learning not to be too precious about things to start with. It's going to be terrible, whatever you solve. You have a great idea, like this is great, you make it and this is terrible, but why is it terrible? Then you polish it, you cut it and you smooth it down, you make changes to it, you iterate through it and it gets better and better and better. So maybe you, your, your, your latest composition doesn't sound great, but you go through it again, you, you, you tweak bits and you make it better each time, or your piece of art is not so great. Uh, you go over it again, you redraw it, and, but every time you do it, you do it better. And that's a very important thing I think I've learned through the, through the years. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think as well that I think it shows that you can have started on this path, have gone on a completely different route for an, a number of years, and you can still return to it, and you can still make your name, and you can still follow that, that childhood dream. And uh, I can imagine the small inner child you sort of like having a bit <laughs> of a party at the moment as you are getting ready to release your, you know, your second Game oh, Boy game and sure, things. So sure. definitely. Um, how about you? You originally you wanted to be the rock star. Now, now you've moved into being being a, a, a gaming rock star. Yeah, um, I feel like it. It feels like I. It's similar, you know, in a yeah. way because I've always just loved the feeling of being in a band, just being having like a crew, um, and just working on a creative production. So whether it was music, film, games, it didn't really matter to me as long as I was behind the scenes and like a part of something creative. Yeah. So childhood me would be ecstatic that I'm still trying to create stuff and that's probably like my biggest tip it's just like if you want to be in the creative industry make things mm -hmm. all the time even if they are terrible just give yourself a deadline and just get quantity out there because yeah like Wang was saying it's just like everything that you make in the beginning is probably going to be like not that great but like you've been doing it for like three or four years it's probably going to be okay and it's going to be acceptable so like it's certainly going to be good enough for you to get hired at like an indie company or like a small, you know, a small double A or something like that. So I think that just encouraging people to understand that you don't need to, it doesn't need to have been your dream from like when you're three years old or anything like that. I feel like I've only just recently sort of entered in the games industry, even though I started my company like five or six years ago. I've only recently sort of joined Yuki as a board member. I've only just recently started going into games publishing with Curve. So it's only really happened in the last two years. So you can pursue a career in games a little bit later in life as well. So you don't need to have done a degree, but it helps, you know, it's like your first professional network, right? So yeah. Yeah, I like the idea that you've gone from, you know, rock star to, to rock band kind of effectively there. <laughs> Because dreams can can evolve and things as well, and being involved in the game industry is much more than necessarily what people thought when they were when they were little. It is about everyone who is involved in that industry. So transferable skills, I think, are, are something to definitely. I don't know. I guess as my top tip would be to make a list of all your transferable skills, all the things that you've kind of put aside, and you think, oh no, I want to now be working in games in one way or another. I need to throw all of this away. Um, probably write down everything that that's actually useful for within the industry you want, and see how that works together. Does anyone else have any sort of top tips that they would give for someone who wanted to either start out in the games industry or, or, or return to it later in their career? Probably uh, stay at home with your mum and dad to start with. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, as an indie, the money's just random. Um, unless you hit on a, you know, a, a particularly good game right off the bat, which is very rare. So have a plan B, I would say. Um, and, yeah, don't rely on, your, uh, on indie games for a regular income by any means. So, uh, yeah, whether you have a, a day job and, and you're able to work in the evenings or weekends on, on something... Yeah, I would, um, wouldn't put all your eggs in one basket, for, <laughs> for sure, yeah. Yeah, so definitely looking at that work-life balance and commitments and things and working it around what you already need to be doing uh, because it is still possible to build from there, as you guys have shown. Would you have a, a top tip for people that are wanting to get into games now? Oh, so many top tips. Um, okay, um, 
yeah, don't give up. I think it's a good one. Uh, I think sometimes, you know, we sell this dream of, of working in the industry and we talk about how amazing it is, which it is. Um, but, but, you know, we don't always recognize that it can be a, a bit of a slog to, to get into the industry and that it does sometimes take a bit of time and you might end up here by a, round, a roundabout way. Um, but if it's something that you're really passionate about, then, then stick with it. Um, and think, maybe think outside the box as well. You know, if you want to be a designer, um, you know, is there another way that you can get into the industry? You know, are you already doing something that, that you can uh, apply to the industry? Can you start off as a QA tester? You know, is there another area that you can, you can start in? Um, and then just, yeah, don't, don't, don't be afraid to do it yourself. I mean, uh, you know, we've got some great examples of, on the panel yeah. of people who have just gone out there and, and done it. And, um, you know, you can have your day job and, and everything else. Um, and then still kind of keep, keep that dream alive um, while looking after yourself, obviously. As we've touched upon, you don't want to burn yeah. out or, uh, or anything like that. But um, yeah, I'm waffling again, so I'm going to just wrap that it is up. Fine. It is all it good stuff. It is, we are <laughs> taking all the knowledge from your brain and passing it to everyone in the room. I could just waffle on for ages on this, so I won't. I'm going to stop there and pass it on because I'm sure the rest <laughs> of the panel have some good points as well. Quang, what would you say would be a couple of top tips that you would suggest uh, for everyone? I would say, if possible, be as visible as possible. Um, have a portfolio, go to events, showcase wherever you can, um, enter competitions, uh, do talks, do panels. Just be visible. Yeah. Uh, the more visible you are, the, the, the more people will, will know who you are and what you do. So if you go, hey, I'm a game developer, I, I make games, then people can't ignore that because you're, you're, you're everywhere. Um, that's how I did it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, well, you went to a lot of game jams as well. One yeah. of your one of your games that everybody knows, Manmar Castle, was a game jammed one eventually. Sure. So I'm assuming so that's another good place that you networked. Game jams are a great thing for us. We did about 50 game jams um, before we started making our own games, uh, just to relearn how to make games. After I came back from being a dancer, um, and it was got to a point where literally every game I went to, people started recognizing me being there. And the more you do, again, through iteration, we got better at doing it. And we started winning game jams as well. And it just, again, just practice to do it over and over again. So iteration and, and be visible. Yeah, I think game jams will teach you, if nothing else, that you can't be precious about something because you've got two minutes to do each sprite, you know? You've just got to get through them and get on. And also, it's a good way of networking with other people who are sort of either at your level or will be your peers at the places you want to work. Uh, so it isn't just about networking with the people that you want to employ you and pay your salary. If you are also getting known by the other people who are in the same situation as you are, then when they have a job and someone says, oh, we need another X, Y, and Z, we need another another sound designer, we need another pixel artist. They're going to go, I worked with this lovely person at a game jam. And that's another way your name could get in front of the people that might not be as easy to, to sort of bump into and speak to at regular events. So I think game jams are a, a, a really good one. And uh, yeah, you did one or two, so you definitely know about those. Um, so what would you say, Jay, would be your, your top tips for people, um, apart from being just generally rock yeah. stars in their mind? <laughs> I've got two top tips, if I may. Um, I think the first distinction that you need to make is think about whether you want to just make a game or whether you want to start a business, because those are two completely separate things. If you want to make a game, then you know, there's no shame in working for another company. But if you really feel like, no, being a business owner is part of my dream, then yeah, start up an indie company. I don't see anything wrong with that, but it's a real 
50-50 split, like 50% of my time is managing the business and 50% of my time is like, you know, managing all of the production and stuff like that. And this is me not doing any artwork or any programming or anything pretty much to do with the game. Secondly, I would say find yourself a really good team, whether it's, you know, finding a really great place to work or whether it's hiring or recruiting for your own business, make sure that they're a really good support network as well because if you're a solo dev, it can get really lonely and it's just really good to have people around you that you can, you know, cry to when things are going bad, celebrate your successes as well. It's really good to have a crew. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think looking at the companies that you would want to work with, look and see if you would like to work with them and their ethos and their culture as much as just thinking, oh, I want them to pick me also take a look at those companies or those people and think, do I want to work with them? Because there are always going to be a lot of opportunities and sometimes the key is finding the right one rather than necessarily the first one. So we have a couple of minutes left. If anyone would like to ask any questions, um, raise your hands. I believe we have a microphone that can be brought around. Um, yeah, we've got a couple of people with their arms in the air. Thank you very much. Ooh, you stand? Cool. Hey, yeah, so, ooh, that's a bit loud, my apologies. Um, so for those of us that, you know, we need to make ends meet, sometimes it's difficult to get into the games industry. Um, we have our own jobs to pay the bills and everything, um, and we also do want to get into the games industry, so we need to find the time to do that. But obviously that could lead to burnout, unfortunately, for a lot of people. So what would be your tips for those that, you know, are looking to get into the games industry and are working like day, night, dusk till dawn, how do you avoid that burnout? Um, I'm gonna... Yeah, we're all just looking at you. <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, so Sobitech is 14 years old and we only just released our first game last year because those 14 years was us having day jobs and doing it in our spare time. Take your time. Um, you have weekends, you have evenings. Manage your time as best you can. Like, even if you spend one hour a day making a game, that's more than nothing. So take your time, don't rush it, because um, you have to survive, and, and, and having the day job helps you pay your bills, your rent, and things like that. Um, but if you're passionate about something and you want to make something, then you will do it. So rather than going to the cinema one weekend, I'll make a game instead. You know, it, it's, you choose what you do in your spare time. Your, your day job will be between 40 and I don't know, 50 hours, whatever it is, a week. You still have a number of time, hours left over. And if you choose to sit on the couch and binge watch Game of Thrones or whatever, you can do that, but you're not making games. Like, but you need to decide what you're doing in your time. Yes, you have downtime, you know, look after yourselves, because I've burned out and it, it's, it's not pretty. Um, so look after yourselves and know your limits, but choose to use your time wisely. Um, this is why I got a producer in, because I use my time badly, and, and having a producer just to direct and manage our time has been really useful for us. Yeah, I think trying to, trying to make yourself not work all the time can be as much as an issue as trying to make yourself work more because you get that determination and you just want to, to sort of say, no, if I just do a few more hours. But I think if you do work day and night, every day and night, as someone who burnt myself out at a, at a different career a long time ago, um, then you get to the point where you can't work. It doesn't, it doesn't mean you get more work done in, in the long time to just burn yourself out. It's better to pace yourself, try and give yourself a bit of a balance. And also, I think, think what you want your game to do. Do you want what you're making to show someone to employ you full time? 
or are you making something to produce and to, and to, to sell as a product? Because we've got several people up here who make, well, we have Mega Drive games and we have Game Boy games. So you're not going to run out of time. <laughs> These things come back around. Um, yeah, just take your time. I'm assuming you guys would agree with that. Yeah, I, I mean, I would just say, um, uh, which you, you've touched on already, but basically, just make sure you're giving yourself permission to rest. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes, actually, if you just want to sit on the sofa and watch Netflix, that's fine. Like, but I, I've certainly, um, you know, had that, that guilty feeling where you do nothing and you feel like, well, I should be doing this, I should be doing this. I've got all of these things on my list. And it's very easy to get sucked into, okay, I can't actually just sit and do nothing, or I can't even play games anymore because I've got to be doing X, Y, Z. Yeah. So I think it's just, um, just trying to be sensible about it and every now and again take a step back. Um, you know, and obviously, uh, you know, you want to get into games, you want to make your games, but you also need to kind of make sure that you're looking after yourself and you survive to, to be able to reach the, the goal that you're trying to reach. Um, yeah, that would be my, my two cents. And some, some of your best ideas, you might find your best ideas strike when you're, when you're watching Game of Thrones or something. You might go, hey, my game needs a dragon. You, you never know. So that downtime isn't town time where your brain isn't working on your dream. It's just doing it subconsciously. And um, it's still very, very valid. Uh, I think we've got time for one more question. If people want to put their hands up. Oh, yeah, if you could pass the microphone back. Thank you. How, how loud is this? Quite loud. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. So... Was there ever a time in your life where you felt like you were completely stagnating and making no progress whatsoever? And if so, what was the one thing that, like, if you had a time machine and could go back to that point, what's the one thing that you would say to yourself to get the motivation to keep working towards your goals? Oh, we'll go down. You're, you're looking with an expression, which means I'm going to pick on you first, well, Mike. That's my, yeah, that's Mike, my mate. <laughs> <laughs> he knows me very well. Uh, yeah, I think it's something you will every creative goes through and um, I think when you hit that stage it's, it's good to have a change yeah maybe you've been working on a game for a year or two or three uh, and you've just uh, just had enough um, it, it might be a good time to just get the game out there and move on to something else uh, we had that with an RPG which um, we, were, we were developing it for Adult Swim but it actually cost us our studio uh, we, we just couldn't finish it we were just burnt out just bored of it and we were taking on other projects and it, it all sort of snowballed and yeah at that point I wish we could have uh, probably finished that game early you know failing early is something we talk about as um, indies quite a lot and uh, moved on moved on to something else yeah but hindsight's a wonderful thing and that yeah. Um, but yeah uh, I think if it is stagnating do something different yeah like we went into Mega Drive games uh, which uh, gave us a new new lease of life, a new audience, and uh, yeah, we're, we're loving what we do right now. Yeah, and those games are, are doing really well and are incredibly good fun to play as well, so that was definitely a, a good sort of curveball direction to, to take with things. And yeah. I've heard of a lot of people saying that if they're working on one game solidly for too long, they sometimes have smaller games they're working on in the background that give them sort of a, a break, so you're still working, but you're going from working on something that's um, a huge 3D multiplayer realistic thing, and then on the side you're doing some small little puzzle game or something, which can just give people a, a break, I think, as well. Um, what would you say, Kath? Oh, yes, uh, I have had um, many times where, <laughs> where I felt a bit stuck or, or stagnated. Um, 
especially um, uh, before I worked in games. So I, as I mentioned before, you know, I did a bit in, in film and TV and spent a few years kind of in very junior roles, feeling like I wasn't really making a lot of progress. Um, and I think if I could give myself some advice at that time, it would be um, try not to compare yourself to other people because you know you might have friends or colleagues that are doing fantastically well and you think oh I'm never going to be able to do that you know they're just so much better than me etc etc but everyone kind of moves at the, their own pace um, and uh, you know if you apply yourself and, and, and you're talented it will work out eventually um, and the other thing uh, pretty much the same as Mike is just uh, don't be afraid of change um, and there are a few times in, in my career and in my life where I probably should have just quit what I was on. No, sorry, that sorry, really dodgy. Um, I should have uh, quit the uh, situation I was in or, or the job that I was uh, uh, working in um, you know, sooner than I did, but I didn't because you know, change can be scary. Um, but it's about recognizing that actually, okay, I tried my best in this job or in this certain area. It hasn't worked out. That's okay, I'm gonna try something different. And uh, yeah, I mean, in my case, certainly it, it worked out for the best and I'm not entirely sure how I ended up here but it's fantastic and, and I love it yeah. so I'm glad a, a leap of faith is sometimes required and having that strength to say that you want to, to make a change rather than letting yourself yeah. get entrenched in a situation that's not working for you um, how about you Quang? Um, I would say try and keep small deadlines um, one of the problems we had because we were doing it in our spare time our game took, ended up being five years in the making um, only because we were doing our spare time and we didn't have a deadline. We just said, we'll just do it in our spare time, it'd be fine. But that's really bad. Give yourself a deadline. They say art is never finished. Art is only abandoned. You have to get it out there. Just kick it out there. It may not be, it's never going to be perfect. And as and a perfectionist, that kills me every time. But you need to get it out there. So pick a time, aim for that and get it out there. So. That's the best advice I could give. I think if necessary, scale back those things you're doing in your spare time around your day job and have realistic goals. You know, you may be able to make a small thing in RPG Baker. You may not be able to make Final Fantasy VII. You have to kind of say what's realistic because otherwise I think the stress can, can build up quite a lot and you can become your own worst enemy with it. Um, what would you give as a, as a piece of advice here? I mean... I think the main thing to realize is that games are really complicated and messy. So they're always going to take longer than you think they're going to take. And when you're scoping a project and you think it's going to take a month, double that. You know, if you think a game's going to take six months to make, probably going to take a year, maybe longer. And also, that just comes with experience as well doing it. Like, it doesn't matter how experienced you are, there's going to be blockers and problems that come up. Maybe your software doesn't work right with the specific hardware that you're trying to build it for. Um, all sorts of issues can come through. Like somebody might drop out of a project and then you have to like hire again. Just expect things to go wrong, I guess would probably be my, <laughs> yeah. be my advice. And just when you do that, then you just become a little bit more um, hardy and um, don't be afraid to fail because you can just pick up right back up and do something else. Um, I think that's the difference between working on, like, in an indie team versus working, you know, in a, in a company because, you know, it's completely out of your control if the company cancels a project. But you have control over your video game. If it means that this feature has to be cut so that you can keep your sanity, do it. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's so my advice. Definitely, yeah. So planning, planning around things will go wrong, trying to keep your deadlines realistic for yourself and um, involving other people as well. If you need to bring on some kind of project manager to shout at you to go to bed, you know, and things like that, and to not overwork yourself and burn out, then look for someone who's looking to do that. There'll be someone else who's a project manager who's working on something they find really boring, and they would love to be helping with a game, and working with you might be the experience they need for their CV to move to their dream job, and you could be helping each other out. And that kind of thing, I think, helps avoid uh, a lot of the potential burnouts and a lot of the potential issues um, if you just try and do everything yourself. Um, I'm going to give these guys one second to just say, uh, where can people find you online if they'd like to, to follow up and see the games and things you guys make? Uh, so we've got a website, which is bitmapbureau.com. Really awkward spelling, but I hope you can find it. Um, uh, yeah, we're on Twitter as well, Facebook. Not really on TikTok yet. <laughs> That's probably inevitable. TikTok um, incoming. And yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, we sell our physical games uh, through our own shop, uh, which is shop.bitmapbureau.com. If you'd like to buy something, I've got merchandise with me. If if you want I, some I freebies. I like it. Plug, plug, plug. Uh, see, that's, that's how you get everyone to remember you. See, plug, plug, plug. Be, be shameless in saying what you do and getting your name out there. Well, I love it. it. Yeah. It's good. It's how it's done. Um, where can people find you, Callie? Uh, so, um, yes, halostudios.com is the studio website. Um, I don't know if my mic was working then, but halostudios.com. That's, that's the studio website. Uh, where you can find information about the games that we make uh, and also links to the Tentacle Zone. Uh, for me, I am occasionally on Twitter at Cali underscore SJ. Uh, I, I'm not on there as much as I should be, but I, I do have an account, uh, post occasionally, and LinkedIn as well, of course. Um, yeah, that's me. Yeah, LinkedIn, an another good one to have as well. Quang, um, where can they find you? I think the best place is to just go to the website at sobitech.com. That's A-S-O-B-I-Tech.com. And it links to all social media on there. We're at Tech on everything. Easy enough. Excellent. Where can people find you, Joe? The studio name is called um, Aragon Pixel. So you can go on our website, aragonpixel.com, or on Twitter, Instagram, all of the socials. And you can reach out to me directly on Twitter, which is JWShin. And you should be able to find me um, on JShin on LinkedIn. So reach out whenever. We've also got two games over here as well. So come say hi. I love it, so do check out the games that they have here with them. And uh, in the interest of plugging, I shall plug myself as well. My name is Bex Trista, also known as Trista Bytes. I host and I do uh, Twitch and YouTube and other things as well, and I'm called Trista Bytes on everything. So hopefully you found this to be informative and helpful. Thank you so much for watching. If you have any questions, do come up to these guys now after the panel and ask some more of them. And can we get a huge round of applause again for our wonderful guests? Thank you very much, guys. Thank you.